This is a Rooster Teeth production. Halloween, North America's spookiest holiday, is more than just a commercial costume fest. We dive into the origins today on 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics of a morbid, macabre, downright grisly nature, sometimes spooky like today. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. There's this old, old Irish folktale about a man named Stingy Jack, which already kind of a red flag. Jack had a bit of a bad reputation, known for being a miserable, conniving sort of man, playing tricks on his fellow pub patrons. Sounds like the devil. The devil himself, Satan, heard of Jack's exploits and decided to meet Jack for himself. Mm-hmm. Greatness begets greatness, I guess. One night, drunk and wandering through the countryside, Jack came upon a body in the middle of a path, which upon inspection, he realized was the devil. Dun, dun, dun. Fearing the worst, that his end might be near, Jack stalled the inevitable by inviting Satan for a drink at the local pub. And surprise, surprise, a guy with the moniker Stingy Jack didn't have any money on his person to actually pay for these drinks that he invited Satan to go have. (laughs) So he asked Satan to spring for the tab. More specifically, he suggested to the devil that he deceive the bartender by turning himself into a silver dollar, which Jack would pay the barkeep with. Once the exchange was done, Satan could simply morph back into the Prince of Darkness. Which all in theory works, right? Like you pay him with the coin, that's actually Satan, and the bartender takes it and then Satan like rolls away and then transforms back. Bada boom, bada bing. Uh, So Satan does this, but psych, it's just another one of Jack's tricks. He pockets the silver dollar, Jack does, putting it in his jacket right next to a crucifix, which prevents the devil from returning, transforming back to his original form. So far, this tracks, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Satan had no choice but to bargain with Jack. They struck a deal that he would spare Jack's soul for another 10 years in exchange for his freedom. The years passed, and once again, Jack and Satan crossed paths, this time in the countryside. In another ploy of desperate deception, Jack asked Satan if before they went to hell, presumably, he could have an apple. Satan obliged and climbed the tree, unaware that Sneaky Jack was tricking him again. Uh, Satan (laughs) is like so naive. He's so easily (laughs) fooled somehow. The legend varies depending on who's telling it. And some versions say that Jack went while Satan was climbing the tree and he carved a crucifix into the base of it. Others say that he surrounded the tree by staking a bunch of little crucifixes into the ground. So they made another deal, that he be left alive again for 10 years' time, and should he die, his soul would not be taken to hell. So they made this deal, but then here's what happened. Jack dies, he goes to the gates of heaven, and God does not want him to enter. He doesn't like the sinful and deceitful way that Jack lived his life. Surprise, surprise. So he proceeds to go down to hell and begs Satan to take his soul there. But a deal's a deal. Instead, the devil gave Jack a piece of coal to light his way forward, doomed to wander without rest of eternity. Mm -hmm. And Jack took this little lump of coal and he put it inside a hollowed out turnip and lit it. And this earned him the nickname Jack of the Lantern, which of course has come to be styled as Jack-o'-lantern. 
the pumpkins that we carve for Halloween. Jack's folktale is one of the many myths and legends surrounding Halloween and its customs and origins. Though I think that around maybe like the late 19th century, they realized that pumpkins are better than like turnips and squash (laughs) Mm -hmm. for making Mm (laughs) jack-o'-lanterns. Yeah. Today, if you haven't guessed it, we're talking all things Halloween and getting into some of the history behind the holiday, how it started, different traditions like trick-or-treating especially, and how the holiday has become popularized in North America. It's also worth noting that Halloween, as it exists in modern day, has been informed by Dia de los Muertes, or Day of the Dead, a celebration taking place in the early days of November to honor the dead. But they are not one and the same, to be clear. Yeah, sometimes you'll see Dia de los Muertos and Halloween just mistakenly referred to interchangeably, but they have different origins, meanings, and traditions. Dia de los Muertos began with pre-Hispanic, pre-Columbian, Mesoamerican indigenous people. Similar to Samhain, it holds the belief that during this time, there's no barrier between the living and spirit worlds. Yeah, we'll get a full episode on DDLM in the future. DDLM Mm -hmm. is uh, (laughs) Dia de los Muertos. Yeah, that's how we say it in the biz. (laughs) Just to be clear, yeah. Not because we have a hard time saying it or anything. But that's just, you'll find that that's how most people, DDLM. (laughs) For now, we are focusing on the origins specific to Halloween. Mm, Yes. The earliest markings of the holiday can be traced back to the pagan religious festival Samhain, which the Celtics held about 2,000 years ago. It was one of the four quarterly fire festivals. And no, not that fire fest. Jessica. That is what I was thinking of. Correct. Not the one that Hulu and Netflix made competing documentaries about. <laughs> right at the same time. And of course, and of course we watch both of them. Uh, absolutely. But yep. uh, Samhain was one of the four quarterly fire festivals that was held in the highest regard of all four by the Celts. It denoted the turn from autumnal equinox into winter solstice. And it was during this time that families would light symbolic fires in their homes that the, they would allow to burn out while they collected the harvest. Then the whole community would gather with Druid priests and light one big communal fire. They used a large wheel, representative of the sun, and spun it to spark the fire. So theatrical. I know. And it was basically the social event of the year. The community made cattle and crop sacrifices to the gods, and these Druid priests told fortunes and prophesied about the upcoming crop seasons. And, you know, for a bit of fun, something I also consider fun as well, is uh, the Celts would dress up in animal heads and skins and try to tell each other's fortunes. I've, I have done this and I will do it with you, Elise. Yeah. <laughs> You've been invited to a Jessica Wasami birthday party. Yep. <laughs> you this, know. This is where it happened. Where uh, your pelt. All in all, the festival lasted for three days and three nights, and it was such a must attend that it was actually believed you'd be punished by the gods for not showing up. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about like a slap on the wrist. No, Mm-mm. potential punishment could be illness or even death for not attending. So to prove your attendance, uh, festival goers would make sure that local kings or chieftains knew that they attended. Much like a Jessica Basami birthday party. Well, yes. <laughs> when the festival came to a close, everyone took a flame from the fire and used it to relight their extinguished fires at home. It was believed during Samhain the barrier between the spirit world and the living world is broken down. Ghosts and she could therefore enter the living world. She are Irish folklore fairies, basically, who are apparently very, very cruel and kidnap people while spreading bad luck and illness. 
This is not the type of fairies I thought they were. But anyway, the bonfires of the festival were intended to ward off these spirits. Other protective measures included placing offerings outside the town and in the fields, as well as dressing up in different animal or monster costumes to scare off the she's from kidnapping potential ancestor spirits that were crossing over to visit the family. That's the thing, you're not even worrying about yourself. You're worrying about the ancestor spirits, too. Get snatched. There's a lot to worry about here. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of spirits visiting families, the Celts had a tradition called dumb supper. Dumb in this case meaning quiet or silent. During this ritual, families would leave doors and windows open to invite their spirit ancestors in. The family would then sit down and have a meal together. Children would play games to entertain the dead, and adults would catch the dead up on everything that has taken place since their passing. It's like a, like, you know, Netflix shows you, like, here's what happened last season on Stranger Things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like that. Um, By 43 after Common Era, the Roman Empire had largely taken over Celtic land. As a result, two Roman holidays were merged with Samhain celebrations. The first was Ferelia, a day of commemoration to the dead. And the second was a day to honor the goddess of fruits and trees, Pomona. Her symbol is an apple and might explain why we bob for apples as a Halloween activity. I always just thought it was like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Yes, yes, that's what I thought too. The devil, kids bobbing for apples like the devil, but maybe Pomona Uh, is the secret. Okay. But speaking of... Christianity. Uh, As Christianity's influence spread, church leaders attempted to reframe Samhain as a Christian holiday. In the 5th century, Pope Boniface uh, tried to rededicate the day to saints and martyrs, moving it to May 13th. However, the Celts resisted and the fire festivals continued in October and November. Take that, Ja Rule. In the year 837 (laughs) after Common Era, Pope Gregory moved the day back to its original time, but twisted it up, renamed it All Saints Day, which took place on November 1st. All Souls Day would come the day after, November 2nd, a day to honor the dead. However, neither new holiday stopped the pagan tradition completely. October 31st became known as All Hallows' Eve or Halloween. Mm-hmm. And eventually, Halloween made its way into American celebrations as Europeans immigrated and the colonies were formed. Halloween was not as common in colonial New England due to the strict Protestant belief, but was much more common in Southern colonies like Maryland. Mm-hmm. I believe it. <laughs> what truly popularized the holiday in America during the 19th century was the flood of Irish immigrants coming to the country to escape the potato famine, also called the Great Famine or the Great Hunger, which was a time of mass starvation and disease in Ireland. And that's how the American version of Halloween became more of a mix of Irish-European traditions and Native American traditions as well. The first celebrations were actually called play parties, where communities would gather and share stories about the dead, sing, dance, and tell each other's fortunes. There were also a lot of sharing of ghost stories and mischief making. Yeah, the holiday was more like, how can we kind of like prank on people? I love it. Um, But then where does the concept of going door to door, trick or treating and begging for candy come from? Yeah. Originally ancient Irish and Scottish traditions in the nights leading up to Samhain. Yeah. If you look at it and and read about it, it sort of resembles Christmas caroling a little and it was called souling. Yes. People would dress up and go door to door singing songs to the dead, vowing to pray for their souls, receiving cakes and food in return. 
Mm-hmm. Kind of people. Yeah, I know. It's like kind of, I wouldn't mind that now. I know. Halloween. And it eventually became people asking for like, not just like food and cakes, but money too. And then trick-or-treaters got a little bit more bold. Instead of offering prayers and songs, they might tell jokes or do like these little performances on people's doorsteps for them. Yes. And this tradition became known as mumming. Jessica, you are a theatrical person. Yes. I would think so sometimes. You're an amazing actress. I appreciate and that. <laughs> I'm going to suggest that we go mumming this Halloween. We come up with a little two-person act, two act. Oh, my gosh. And on doorsteps, we do this little who's on first routine or something. I would love to do that. I just wonder if now they'd be like, you're a 34-year-old oh. woman. <laughs> they would call the police. <laughs> they would call the police for 100%. sure. <laughs> they would be like these... Rogue mimes yes, <laughs> have escaped from an insane asylum and are doing a performance on our doorstep. Yep. Yep. So mumming doesn't really happen anymore. And I guess I understand why. And there are also a bunch of other long forgotten Halloween traditions that didn't survive the commercial evolution of the holiday. Among those is baking these fortune telling cakes called quote unquote dumb cakes a practice that sort of harkens back to the Samhain festival fortune-telling aspect of, you know, the barrier between worlds is lifted during this time of season so we can kind of see the future, talk to the spirits, right, Mm -hmm. Jess? Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically between the 18th and early 20th century, three young unmarried women would gather in silence to bake dumb cakes, a cake consisting of flour, water, and salt. Wow. Back then, the only dating apps were appetizers. <laughs> what a joke. I love it. Uh, after preparing the cake, these women would carve their initials into it and then bake it in the oven. And once baked, they'd break it, take a bite, and then walk backwards to their rooms. And then they'd place a piece of the cake underneath their pillow and sleep on it for the night. I love this. Um, Mm -hmm. If done correctly, the women were supposed to dream of their future husbands. Uh huh. There are some accounts, though, from women who baked these ritual cakes and then had not just like dreams of their future husbands. They had like borderline scary interactions with these alleged dream husbands. They were probably like it was probably sleep paralysis, Jess. Sleep paralysis. Truly. They were probably cooking these cakes, getting stressed. (laughs) Yeah. That or like. A warning. Do not marry this man. Oh, oh my gosh. that That's what we need more of. <laughs> that's like warning yes, cakes. Yes. Warning cakes. Oh, Red flag it. cakes. I love it. Oh, um, we should get together. I mean, I know I'm married and you're in a long-term relationship, but hey, I'm, what can I'm, it hurt let's to Let's make some dumb cakes. Let's make some dumb cakes. Or at least let's just see um, if it works, even though you are a married woman. Yeah. Maybe we'll take a break right now to make some cakes and we'll tell you a bit about some of our sponsors. It's our favorite time of the year and probably our fans' favorite time of the year as well. I should hope so. It's spooky season and we're here for it. Absolutely. I'm getting so excited about costume parties and getting, hopefully one day, eventually, here in Texas, getting out of my cozy clothes. Mm-hmm. Me too, Jess. And Rothy's shoes can help us make that transition into fall easy. They've got so many colors. It'd be a crime not to get a pair. I see what you did there, Elise. But most people know Rothy's for their The Flat and Point shoes, but they also make super comfortable sneakers, loafers, and even ankle boots. A ton of variety for fall and winter, so you don't have to stress about finding shoes for each season. One thing I really love about Rothy's is that I can wash my shoes, and Rothy's products are made from recycled water bottles, so they absolutely help the planet 
I got the high tops in green and I got them because they felt like a very false shoe and something that felt sturdy and that would take me, like we were saying earlier, through the seasons. Yes, I'm so excited. I got the slip-on sneaker in bright white and thank God that we can wash them because I already got a stain on them. (laughs) That's just me though. I always uh, ruin everything I have. That's the beauty. You don't have to change how you live. Exactly. Yes. Rothy's is there for you and you can get into the spirit and elevate your fall wardrobe too with Rothy's. Plus get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash 30mm, 30mm. That's $20 off R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash 30mm. Elise, I like playing D&D, do you? Me too. I love it. I love playing it. We've made shows about it, and which is why I'm so excited to talk about what we're about to talk about. Yes, Stinky Dragon. Behold, Tales from the Stinky Dragon, a hilarious audio D&D podcast. Uh Uh-huh. Stinky Dragon features some of our favorite, and I think your favorite people too, as Dungeon Master Gus Sorolla each week guides Barbara Dunkelman, B-Dunks, Chris Tamaris, C-Dems, Blaine Gibson, B-Gibbies, and John Reisinger, the Zinger, through a hilarious campaign where they play interns for a group of mighty adventurers known as the Infinites. Yes, it's a show for the D&D amateurs and veterans alike with top-tier storytelling, immersive sound design, and original score, and special guest voice actors each week. We love all these people. We love watching them, and I think you will too if you if you listen to the Tales from the Stinky Dragon wherever you get your podcasts from. And now back to the show. So Jess, yeah, there was this kind of um, vision of Halloween where it was more like just kind of a mischief holiday. You would go to your neighbors and essentially be busking for coins sometimes, Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. doing little performances and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then things started to change a little bit at the turn of the 20th century. During the 1920s and 30s, the stock market crashed and led to the Great Depression, which was a big deal and just caused huge cultural shifts. The spirit of Halloween took a downturn amidst economic tensions. And Black Tuesday, in fact, it happened on October 29th, 1929. So like right at Halloween. Yes. The night before Halloween became known as Devil's Night or Mischief Night, where teens and young people went out under the cloak of darkness to do pranks and other vandalism. Yeah. And against this backdrop of all this like unrest and social rebellion, the pranks were pretty out there. Like we're not talking about the tamer pranks of today, like throwing eggs at a house or stringing toilet paper on trees. We're talking broken windows, graffiti, pulling alarms. There are stories of teen boys flipping over cars and even sawing down telephone poles. Yeah. The purge. Yeah. No, not that far. Not that far. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Basically, <laughs> basically, this was your your early 20th century purge. Yes. Yes. Remember, <laughs> you know? they, they crawled so we could walk. So (laughs) here we go. Anyway, in 1933, Halloween even earned the moniker Black Halloween, a nod to Black Tuesday, given, you know, how problematic the holiday had become. But that would change with the coming of the Second World War, right, Elise? Yeah. As the tensions shifted and those same young people pulling those pranks were sent overseas to fight for God and country, Halloween endured and It lost a bit of the prank aspect, mostly because everybody was just trying to deal with the very serious nature of the war. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone was was done putting up with mischief and pranks like, hello, we have more serious stuff going on. 
And since everybody was rationing by 1942, the idea of like terrorizing your community (laughs) was really frowned upon, especially because some of the pranks were done with materials like metal and rubber that were actually needed to be conserved for the war efforts. Mm -hmm. And if you were pranking your neighbor, ringing their doorbell in the middle of the night, there was a chance that they were a war worker who would get up the next day to manufacture artillery. Yeah, so you had to like let them sleep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, ring their doorbell, pranking them. Yeah, hello. Uh huh. And there was this like big shift in perception that if you were doing this like devil's mischief, making trouble, you were impeding the war effort. So Halloween season became more about just like parties and trying to retain some normalcy during a really uh, upheaved time. I'd rather that also because although they weren't going as far as the purge, I just even for one night a week, knowing that like. My window could be broken and my car could be vandalized. Just like, oh, it's Halloween, you know, lock up all your stuff. It's it's still kind of like unnerving, you know, if that's how it still was. Yeah, not even a Jessica Basami birthday party. (laughs) (laughs) I I do like how for you, Jess, if it's not full purge, you don't want it at all. (laughs) It's full purge and nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, geez. But needless Mm. to say, the war really did impact uh, and change so much. Even the non-mischief makers had to celebrate differently. Due to sugar rationing, though, candy just wasn't available, which led to some creative pastries and desserts at the time. Yeah, there were like mincemeat pies given out (laughs) to kids and stuff. In the post-war era, there was this major push for the holiday to become a more wholesome thing and draw the focus toward children instead of young adults. And this is when we saw the true rise of like parades and community gatherings and then Halloween parties in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And it was that that was, you know, when Halloween, as we know it today, really, truly formed. Thank goodness. And neighborhoods became overrun by children and mass produced and homemade costumes. And costumes started to shift from purely supernatural creatures to ones based on professions and characters popularized by the media. Companies, including Ben Cooper, produced costumes and sold them through Sears, JCPenney, Woolworths, and local shops for as little as like $1.25. Buck 25. Can you believe it? Buck 25. Buck 25. I'd drop that now for a Hunger Games costume. Oh, for sure. Compared to what prices are Never seen it, never read it. But I'm aware it. <laughs> but I'd pay buck twenty five. Yeah. Um, but prior to this time, sweets handed out were homemade. Now, candy companies started to pump out original designs and flavors specifically for the day. Making that money. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God. And they are making business is a booming. Over the decades to follow, we've seen new traditions rise and fads come and go. Around 40 million children in the U.S. still go trick-or-treating every year. Jessica, what do you do? You hand out candy? I do, like, what's and your thing? and I love to hear that statistic because I just feel like, and this may, this might just be me, where I, I feel like people and kids don't trick or treat as much anymore. Um, I don't yeah. know if you feel that way either. I think that it's just more of a safety thing now to do like community events instead of kids trick or treating. Mm-hmm. But it was such a big deal to me when I was. I loved Halloween, Same. obviously, and like it was such a big deal and. We last year went trick-or-treating with some friends who have a four-year-old and we're going to trick-or-treat with them again this year because it is just wondrous to see him absorb the holiday and mm-hmm. experience it at this age for, you know, the, this year would be the second time, but the first time last year. And it's unreal. And some neighborhoods in LA also get really into it. I love that. Yeah. No, I, I hand out candy and thankfully I live in a neighborhood 
this year and last year where I had like 12 solid groups come by to the point where I was like, okay, I'm you done yet? But it was great though, because just like you said, I love watching the magic on the kids' eyes. And sometimes like I ran out of candy because I was like, here, just dig your hands in the bowl. You can grab as much as you want. I want you to succeed and thrive. (laughs) Take all the candy. (laughs) That's how I feel too. No, yeah, Um, I love it. But I think when we were kids, it wasn't just about the trick-or-treating. It was the lead-up to Halloween. It was what you were watching. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Variety TV specials became really popular on the big networks like during the 70s. And the trend started to bleed into the sitcom world. Eventually became pretty customary for popular shows to do, you know, like a spooky season themed episode, which I love. (laughs) Me too. Every year I still watch the the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Yes. And I just, I always loved like anytime a show did a Halloween episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, you love to tune in to see what the characters you knew were, you know, dressing as and mm-hmm. how they'd incorporate it. Roseanne always comes to mind because they would do some like bonkers Halloween specials and stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah. And even now, licensed costumes are still bigger than ever a booming industry. Ben Cooper, we mentioned just a moment ago, they actually experienced a costume shortage in 1977 because costumes from Star Wars became so wildly popular and sold out and there was like a nationwide shortage. Um, like Star Wars, I, and I believe it, that it, it blew mm-hmm. up. Um, nowadays, I feel like you can find Star Wars costumes anywhere. Yeah. They're so ubiquitous. And over $3 billion is spent by the consumer public on Halloween costumes annually in North America. Yes, and not just on people's costumes, on pets as well. Mm-hmm. Do not forget. <laughs> Americans spent $490 million on costumes for pets in 2019, doubling what they spent in 2010. Have you ever been to like a dog costume parade, Jess? No, but I really would love to. Oh, it will restore your faith in humanity. I once at a dog costume parade, I saw a little terrier dressed as Dorothy from the Wizard from Oz. Oh my God. And then that little terrier had a little stuffed Toto. Ah. And and then it, their owner was wheeling them around in a makeshift hot air balloon. Oh my God. The little dog was in. <laughs> and I just was like, I can lie down in, in the gutter and die happy. I've That's seen this. great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have the visual in my head. Love it. Uh-huh. But let us not forget about the good old candy corn. Candy. Candy. (laughs) Candy corn was invented in the late 19th century and is still a holiday staple. Like it just, it just is. Sometimes I like it. I, um, yes, actually, if I'm being honest, I do like it. It's not something that I eat all the time or I eat a lot of sometimes like last year, like I would buy candy corn merely as decoration for my house, like in bowls. Okay. I can appreciate that. And so like, I'll take like little bites and stuff, but it's not something like we're chocolate, like M&Ms. I could eat like an entire bag. I can't like eat an entire bag of of candy corn. No, but who can, who should? Good point. (laughs) Yes. Good point. Um, And so while it is, you know, still a holiday staple, but, but the big candy manufacturers rule the roost. Christmas and Easter were the big candy events. And uh, in the 1910s and 1920s, but now like 90 million pounds worth of chocolate candy is sold during Halloween week. And the two most popular Halloween candies, can you guess? I would have not guessed these personally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Snickers bars and Reese's peanut butter cups. I, those are my personal favorite. So I'm like, okay, that makes oh, really? sense. But to some people, they might not be makes sense I don't, to them. I don't like peanut. So okay, okay. that 
completely discounts both for me, I think. No, that makes sense. I, there's people that like do not like chocolate and they're like fruity candy all the way, you know? Yeah. I think like for me growing up, the candy, well, I also come from Canada where we have some different chocolate mm-hmm. offerings like Mars bars. I loved getting Mars bars, little coffee crisp. Of course, I liked getting little mini arrow bars and Kit Kats. Yeah. Cute. But yeah. And for me, this season is huge for me too, because while I do this year round, it gives me, I feel like it's my duty to watch horror movies. <laughs> like I can convince my husband to watch them more with me. And there's always like some great new offerings. And it just feels, I, I try to watch as many horror movies as I can around this time of season. It feels so good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had those kind of B-movie, grindhouse horror movies, but it really was The Exorcist, 1973, that set this new standard for horror cinema yep. and then brought audiences to the theaters and and set the tone and said, like, th- these can be huge uh, blockbusters. Like, And that came out in December of all times, <laughs> but um, it made a ton of money. And now Halloween is like this tentpole for studios to release all their scary movies and we're getting, you know, Halloween ends this month, mm-hmm. which might be the last Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween movie. Yep. Yep. You never um, know. They just somehow keep happening. <laughs> it, yeah. I love her. I love oh, well, her. And for I, sure. I wish she'd never stop. But the the Halloween franchise for sure is, I think, the horror movie synonymous with the holiday, too. Yep. Any, I mean, anytime you hear the music, you just mm-hmm. know Halloween's yeah. near. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Halloween over the last couple of years, you know, has been scary for many different reasons due to the global pandemic. And while people were less likely to celebrate in groups, candy and decoration sales have risen as people grasp for some sort of normalcy and indulgence. And I know I can absolutely attest to that. I absolutely did that during the Same. pandemic. Mm-hmm. Me too. I like just bought a bunch. I just needed that kind of like comfort, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And something to do. And I think we were all maybe to a point indulging ourselves with some shopping, some yep. like retail therapy yep. in that respect too. I do think we're kind of getting back to the normalcy. There was that one or two years where people made those candy shoots. Oh. You know, do you remember those? They made those tubes. Yes. They would they would put on their yes. porch and slide candy. And I, you know, and I I literally that is just it's just so great. You know, you bring in humanity at its finest, I feel like, hey, you know what? We're still gonna do it. We're still gonna like give the children their candy and we will just be more than six feet apart, you know? <laughs> yeah. I like that people tried, especially for kids, to try to mm-hmm. make it something they could still do. Absolutely. And- I'm, I'm so we're, we're in the thick of it now. This is, this episode comes out at the beginning of October. Yep. Yep. So I hope everyone's celebrating in their own way. Yes. When do you start? I mean, I'm sure your decorations are already up, but like, when do you usually start putting your decorations up? (laughs) Well, you know, in mid September, I try to hold out, (laughs) but also part of it is too, that I do, I try to do a lot on my patio Mm-hmm. And, you know, they get kind of dirty over time. So the longer they're out there, the dirtier they get. I usually end up going through a couple pumpkins because I'll buy pumpkins too early in the season and then the heat causes them to rot. So I end up uh. having to, like, <laughs> buy new pumpkins. <laughs> but I'm sure you don't mind. Because I don't mind. You love it. I don't at all. Trader, <laughs> Trader Joe's, $5 pumpkins. Come love on. Love it. Yeah. Go through those. I'll go through those, like, not I guess not like candy corn. <laughs> I'll go through, I'll go through, I go through, let me just say this. I go through pumpkins like Jess goes through bodies in a purge. Oh my gosh, man, man, if I was in the purge, 
What would I do? I'd come for you first. I think I think you would actually wreak some serious havoc in a purge. Man, I would death. Probably shouldn't talk about it on this podcast. <laughs> no, it's, it's very self-incriminating. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Putting a lot of evidence, should there ever be a purge, establishing a lot of evidence. Hopefully it never comes to that. No, hopefully it doesn't. That should never be a holiday or a thing that happens in this <laughs> in this world. <laughs> so let's put that out there. <laughs> um, but for the holiday October that we are in right now, we have our new spirit board t-shirt that is available. Have you seen it, guys? You should. It's in the Rooster Teeth store. It's sweet. It's kind of romantic. It you is. make life life worth living and death worth the wait. Yep. I love it. Um, and it's yeah, store.roosterteeth.com slash collection slash 30 morbid minutes, I think. Let's hope that's it. If but, not, just yeah. go to the Rooster Teeth store. Yeah. Store.roosterteeth.com. We'll take you there. Um, and yeah, it's so cute. And Thank you so much to everybody that is maybe you're new and you are tuning into us for the first time because it's spooky season and you're listening, you're looking for something kind of morbid to listen to. Welcome. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Thank you so much. And check out our older episodes too, because they, uh, they don't go bad. They only get better with time. I think (laughs) they're evergreen. Yeah, absolutely. And I love last thing I'll say is I love just October in general, because I feel like I get to dress like a witch every day. I'm going to wear purple lipstick, Oh yeah. wear a witch hat. I'm going to wear all our shirts, all our 30 more minute shirts, like just every day, because I usually, I have all of them in black. There's only one white shirt, uh, but I can still dress that up as a witch anyway. And just be a little witch every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And feel good about myself. <laughs> Let's do it. I Yeah, I do have a little collection of Halloween t-shirts. And I love getting the 30 Morbid Minutes ones because I'm like, never did I, th- did I think that I would add my own, like, Halloween shirts to my collection. That is a great so. witch's power, Elise. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, my, uh, oh, what do you call, like, the the head witch in a coven? You call her the the... Uh, head witch. No, no, oh, I don't no. know. The Supreme. Is it the Supreme? <laughs> I don't know. This is good information to know, though, because I I don't know. I think it's the, because I watched the season of American Horror Story where they do the coven. Witches. Which, oh, Jess, you should watch that if you haven't seen it. I think you would dig it. I, I will watch that season because it is witches and I do love witches. So, okay. Yeah. I think you'd be into it. But yeah, and it is, there is some violence. Don't get any ideas. Okay. Oh, good. That's all I'm saying. Good for, good for telling me that because I will get ideas. <laughs> you gotta worry and, about that with me <laughs> and they will not be admissible in a court of law okay okay <laughs> well thanks everybody thanks for t- hanging out with us we'll see you next week and um i guess this is where we say bad bye huh bad bye trick or treat bye.